Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Psalms, book of Psalms. We're going through the Bible. I know many of you will have to get your notes next week when you get here. I will tell you that if you're going to read through the Psalms in the next five days, you've got to read 30 a day because there are 150 of them. There are different types of Psalms. There are laments whose primary function is to lay a troubled situation before the Lord and ask him to help. They're lamenting before God. There are hymns of praise whose primary goal is to call and enable God's people to admire God's great attributes and his character. There are hymns of thanksgiving, which thank God for an answer to a petition. There are hymns of celebrating God's law, which speaks of the wonders of the Torah or the the law of Moses and helps worshipers to inspire to obey it more fully. There are wisdom psalms. They take the, the themes from Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and make them the topic of the song. There are songs of confidence, which enable worshipers to deepen their trust in God. There are royal psalms, which talk about the, the Davidic monarchy as the vehicle of blessing for the people of God. There are historical psalms, which take a lesson from the history of God's dealings with his people. There are prophetic hymns, which echo themes found in the prophets, especially calling the people to the covenant faithfulness. All different kinds of psalms. There's one that's only two verses. That's the easiest one to memorize. But, but today, I want us to look at Psalm 1, the very beginning, the book of songs, or psalms, as it's called, the, the first psalm is kind of an introduction to the rest of the psalms. Its, its subject matter is very general, it's very basic, but it basically covers two subjects. And that is it declares the blessedness of the righteous and the misery and the future of the wicked. It's a wisdom psalm. We don't know who wrote Psalm 1. Uh, there are scholars who think that uh, Solomon wrote it in order to uh, be placed at the front of the book of Psalms because a lot of the Psalms carry on that same theme. We do know it is a wisdom Psalm and we do know that it does sort of introduce the rest of the songs, the songs that were sung in worship and praise. I want to read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man and woman, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand 
in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. If you ask somebody today, what is true happiness? You get all kinds of answers. I read a few funny quotes. One said, money can't buy happiness, but it does keep the kids in touch. Money cannot buy happiness, but it's more comfortable to cry in a Mercedes than on a bicycle. And I love this one. Some people cause happiness wherever they go, others whenever they go. You've all heard these, these fairy tales at end, and they lived happily ever after. And they rode off in the sunset, and they lived happily ever after. And we enjoy hearing stories like that when we were young, but when we grew up or grow up, we realized that life isn't that way. Life is complex. It is too, there are too many problems. Nobody lives happily ever after. Not in the sense of the fairy tales, you ask almost any person what they want out of life, they'll say, I, I just want to be happy. And yet, pursuing happiness, everybody seems to be pursuing it in the wrong places. There are many people who think, if I just get married, I'll be happy. Now, I will tell you, it's a wonderful thing. But the divorce rate in our nation tells us that that's not working for everybody. And then there are some who try to find happiness in a career. I just want to follow my passion. Or, or they think that if I, if I can just go have the right recreational activities, I'm going to be happy. Or maybe they think, well, if we just have children, we'll be happy. Well, they do bring a lot of joy, but parents, that doesn't mean every day is going to be happy, does it? Many try to deaden their pain. So that's why they covered up with alcohol and drugs. And a lot of people just won't admit they've ever found any lasting happiness. In fact, did you know that even Christians aren't happy all the time? Larry Crabb, who wrote a book entitled Inside Out, he's a Christian, a committed Christian um, psychologist, a gifted counselor. He, he told about a friend that he had, and he said, my friend is a committed Christian, a gifted counselor, and an unusually clear thinker who has not had a difficult life. Everyone agrees he's a solid, well-adjusted Christian, and yet, after an hour of reflective rambling in Crab's office, this man quietly asked out loud, I wonder what it would be like to feel really good for just 10 minutes. I guess if people are really honest with themselves, most of us would admit that we struggle with the same kind of feelings from time to time. Here we are, children of God. We, we love the Lord. We've been forgiven of our sins. And we've been washed as white as snow, and yet we just are miserable all the time. Psalm 1 assures us that it's possible to live a blessed and happy life but it has to be on God's terms. It's the only way it's going to work. The world offers entertainment. The world offers cheap thrills. The world offers all kinds of momentary pleasure. But real, lasting happiness, authentic joy, and true peace only comes in the Lord. 
And so that's what the psalm is about. And I, I entitled the message, Living Happily Ever After. It doesn't mean you're not ever going to have any trouble or problems. But I want us to look at what this says. It says that we can be. In fact, we're going to begin there. I want you to notice there is a contentment to attain. There is something you can have. Blessed is the person. Blessed is the man. The word blessed in the Hebrew is a plural of intensity. And here's how it can be rendered. Oh, how truly happy is the person. Or, oh, the happiness of this person. The word stems from a verb meaning to go on or to advance. And if you want to advance to the fullest measure of contentment and happiness, the psalmist is telling us how. The psalmist is showing us the path. He said that this is how you can be truly blessed. Now, it's important to note that he's not talking about something that you feel all the time, but something that you are. John Blanchard helps us understand the difference. He says, when the Bible tells us that someone is blessed, it's not telling us that we, what we feel, but what we are. Happiness is a subjective state. I mean, some of you are happy that it snowed. Some of you are unhappy that it snowed. And we have all kinds of feelings of happiness. And a lot of times they're based on circumstances. But blessedness is objective. John Stott puts it this way. God is making an objective judgment about these people. He's declaring not what they may feel like, but what God thinks of them and what on that account they are. They are blessed. You, as a child of God, have been blessed. You see people wearing shirts that say blessed. You see them uh, speaking, how are you doing? I'm blessed. Doesn't necessarily mean how you feel at the moment, but he's saying this is what you are in the eyes of God. So we can have it. Everybody can have this. Everybody needs this, amen? <laughs> and, and the first thing you need to understand that there is a path to this. Here's the path to it. And we're going to begin by looking at it negatively because there is, I call it, a course to avoid. There's a path to avoid here. It's significant that he begins by telling us some things that the happy or blessed person does not do. Your happiness, both now and in eternity, depends on your choices. And folks, I want to tell you, there's no one responsible for your choices except for you. Nobody can make you choose anything. Choice means you're responsible for your choices. Choosing means rejecting some and choosing to follow others. So what is, it, this, what is this path that we should avoid or choose not to follow? The first is worldly advice to believe like the world. Blessed is the person, the man, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now the word counsel here refers basically to the, the thought patterns and the word wicked, wicked means to a person who, who has a loose, this really the true, the true meaning, they have a loose connection to God. We might 
refer it to a person who hangs loose about God. They don't take him really that seriously. I mean, they, they sort of believe in him, but they don't, they don't really think about it that much. I mean, they're not committed to it. It means somebody who's also loose with their morals. It refers to those who are controlled by their own desires, their own emotions, their own thinking, their own flesh, rather than the word of God and the Holy Spirit. They don't take God seriously. Do you know any people like that? Oh, they'll, they'll mention, well, you know, the man upstairs, let me tell you something, that tells you right off they're pretty much hanging loose with God. They don't, I mean, I would never recall, I would never refer to my father as the man in the house. The man that lives in that house. Oh, the man upstairs. That's not a relational term, and, and maybe you've used it in a jokingly way, but, but to be on guard here, it means to... Don't take advice from somebody who hangs loose about God. Does that make sense? Yeah, they, they don't take it seriously. And yet, this kind of counsel is coming into the churches in this nation. And it, and it begins by saying, like, I feel like it's okay. I, I, I think this is okay. I, I assume and and so forth. Instead of saying, thus saith the Lord and what the word of God says, it's, it's almost like we take advice from people who really don't pay that close attention to God. Well, the second avoidance is worldly action. You behave like the world. The path of the sinners refers to the way of life or behavior. To stand in the path of sinners means to be involved with them in their sinful behavior. Now, sinners is the Hebrew word. It's an archery term. means to fall short of the mark or to miss the mark. <clears throat> and the mark, of course, is the will of God, and sin is the transgression of God's law. But it refers to deviating from the standard of God as revealed in his word. What God tells us to do they deviate from that. Don't run with them. Don't go there. We're all sinners. We've all missed the mark, and that's why Christ had to die for our sin and to save us, and he rose again the third day and conquered death. But the word sinners here refers to those who deliberately deviate from what God tells us to do. They deviate from God's will they look at God's word and say, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't apply to me. And folks, we see a lot of church people doing this today. I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm just saying that God has a plan for us and God has set out things and the the path of sinners here doesn't mean that you've got to be perfect and you're not going to be in the path. He's talking about somebody who intentionally is walking away from what God intended for us to do. He said, don't be involved in that. And then the third avoidance is worldly alliance. He said, don't belong with the world, the scornful. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. The scornful have rejected God and his word. They scoff at it. Now, they're too smart. 
They're too smart to believe in the Bible. You've got to commit intellectual suicide to really believe the Bible. That's what they say. Uh, Any person with any intelligence will not be somebody who is dependent or neurotic and dependent upon God and, and the Bible. They cast off the Bible and the reason they have is they want to follow or be their own God so they can follow their own desires and lust. Now, the seat refers to the assembly place. Birds of a feather flock together. Those who scoff at God often get together and reinforce their own bias to their own prejudice. They sit in the seat means to belong to such a crowd. You, you, you head that way. You don't sit with them. You don't associate with them. That doesn't mean that you're rude, but you just don't want to be there. And I want you to notice this downward progression here. In fact, let's look at it. Walk, stand, sit. Well, you're walking, but you're walking in the wrong direction. Next thing you know, you're standing. Finally, you're seated with them. Or look at wicked, sinners, scoffers. First, you run with those who hang loose about God. Then the next thing, you're, you're openly violating God's commands with them. And then you're seated with the scoffers. You openly reject the truth. Or counsel, path, and seat. There's a progression there. You, you listen to the counsel. You begin thinking wrong thoughts. Then you stand in the path. You engage in wrong behavior. And then you finally belong to the wrong crowd. You sit in the seat of the scornful. Folks, what started as a casual contact in the end becomes a declaration of allegiance. It, the progression goes like this. Thinking, behaving, belonging. Worldly wisdom leads to worldly action, which then results in worldly fellowship. You need to remember this because along with this, two things, and I didn't write this down in the, in, in the uh, outline. Along this path, you need to guard your mind. Satan begins here. That's how he began with Eve. Did God really say that, Eve? That's where he began. Wrong thoughts lead to wrong behavior, which leads to the rejection of God's truth. Guarding your mind means be careful what you read. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. But you also need to guard your friends. Those whom you choose to hang out with are going to influence you. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, what fellowship has light with darkness? Bad company will corrupt good morals. Dr. Howard Hendricks used to be a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He said the two factors which will influence where you will be in 10 years from now are the books you read and the friends you make. Don't be careful what you listen to. Now, here's the course to avoid. That's the negative side. If you're going to be blessed, truly blessed, truly happy, truly 
peaceful on the inside and you've got to avoid this. But now the positive side, you're gonna live by some creed. I call this a creed to appreciate and apprehend. It's the word of God. Just not doing something in itself is, doesn't pr produce true happiness. Have you ever noticed some people sort of claim a, a um, what I would call a negative sort of purity? I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do this and I don't do that. But that doesn't make you happy. What does it mean to delight? It says in verse to his delight is in the law. That's God's word. It's interesting, that word delights used two other places in the Old Testament. One of them is Genesis 34, 19, and the other one is Esther, Esther 2, 14, and it speaks of a, now get this, a man delighting in a woman. Hmm, now that, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because I can tell you that, have you ever noticed when a young man delights in a woman, he rearranges his priorities to be with her? And I see, all, I see a couple of men <laughs> smiling. And he doesn't do it because he has to. I'll tell you what, I can remember as a young man, we did... We did crazy things to be with the girl we thought we delighted in, didn't we? Nothing interfered with time. They're the object of the delight. When you spend time in God's word, do you do it because of duty? After all, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. Or do you Read it to alleviate guilt. Oh, I need to read it so I can check off my list. Or do you actually look at God's word and say, you know what? I really believe it has something for me. The, the Bible itself describes itself in so many ways. It's food. It's food. If you're gonna grow in the Lord, it's food. Job 23, 12 and Matthew 4, 4. It, it's milk. For a baby Christian, 1 Peter 2, 2, it's meat for a growing Christian. In Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, it's light in Psalm 119. It's truth in John 17, 17. It's a mirror in James 1, 23 to 25. It's water in Ephesians 5, 25. And then that water, it cleanses. Ephesians 5, 26, it quenches John 4, 13 and 14. It refreshes Psalm 119, 150. The Bible is a seed, 1 Peter 1, 23. It is a sword, Hebrews 4, 12 and Ephesians 6, 17. It's a hammer, Jeremiah 23, 29. And that hammer can build up, Proverbs 16, 24. It can tear down, Revelation 2, 16. It's a fire, Jeremiah 20, verse 9 or Luke 24, verse 32. I don't think people look at God's word enough to realize that it is something that we delight in. I want to know what God says and I want to know what the promises are and I want to know what his will is and I want to know how God wants me to live. That's what it is to delight. I want to be there. I'll confess to you, not every day, 
Do I feel like delighting in the word? I mean, there's, it just depends on the day. Monday morning, I don't delight in anything <laughs> except my wife. I'm tired on Monday you, when I do it three times. Now today, tomorrow is going to be a whole new day. But I'm just, I'm just letting you know, I mean, you don't walk around feeling this way all the time. But when it comes to God word, God's word, it ought to be precious. And you think, you know, I really do love his word. And then it says, not only does he delight, but he meditates in it. Now, a lot of people think meditation is when you clear your mind and if you think about it, there seem to be a lot of people meditating a lot lately. But, <laughs> but, the, but the big difference in the Christian meditation is you don't empty your mind. You fill your mind with the scripture or the thoughts of God. You can read a single verse over and over or choose one that carries great meaning for you. Maybe there's one that helps you handle temptation or the word for meditation in the Hebrew, I've told you many times, suggests ruminating, chewing the cud. It means to dwell on it, to digest it, to question it, to consider it, to rest on it. You've got to take this, this has, if you're going to live a blessed life, if you're going to live a happily ever life after life, this has to be your creed to live by. This has to be what you appreciate and you apprehend it and put it into your life. Amen. Now, the next few verses show a definite contrast. I call it a contrast to acknowledge verses three and four. When we examine the Bible, God says that all individual people, everybody on earth is in one of two categories. Did you know that? You're in one of two categories. There's not multiple choice here. You either belong to God or you don't. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. You are a Christian or a non-Christian. There are righteous people and there are those who've not been forgiven Forgiven and unforgiven, there's only two groups. There's no middle ground. There's no other options. You're in one of the two groups. And here's the contrast between the two groups. First, you see the fruitfulness of the godly people in verse three. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The idea of a tree planted. You know, anytime you see a, it says you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water with large branches and deep roots that go far down into the soil. The scientists will tell you that when you see a big tree that's, that's old and, and mature and big, that its root system is well established. There may be as big a root system underneath the ground as there is above the, as the, as the canopy above the ground. This pictures several characteristics of a believer. First of all, it speaks of permanency. It's solid. It's able to withstand drought and storms. Now, every year at my house, we plant beautiful flowers, or, but they don't last very long. They're not annuals. They're perennials, which means, perennial means, I'm not going to live long. 
It's a Greek word for not going to last long. <laughs> Annual means that they got a root system. They're going to come back every year. But, but a tree, when you think of a tree, it is permanent. A tree can't transplant itself. You can't be transplanted into the kingdom of God yourself. Only Jesus Christ can put you there when you ask God to forgive you and you place your faith in Christ and you follow him as your savior. He puts you, he plants you into his kingdom. It's a work of God's grace and he plants us in good soil and near water to supply us to grow and it's permanent. You are in God's hands. You are a tree. You're there ever after. Permanency. But it also speaks of productivity, brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaves do not wither. The believer is a blessing to people around them. Think about this. You think of a big apple tree out in the middle of a, of a pasture. Cows are going to eat off that tree. Man's going to eat off that tree. Birds eat off that tree. Insects are going to eat off that tree. It benefits a lot of different life forms, doesn't it? Have you ever thought about who might be feeding off of your life? There are people that are. And I don't mean literally feeding off of you. I'm talking about that you're influencing that are drawing off of you. I'm going to really step out here on a limb and meddle for a moment. I'm going to ask you to think about something, Christians. Please think about what you vent or post on social media. Really. You, there, sometimes people say stuff on social media they would never say to somebody's face. Or at least they wouldn't say it that way. And I really believe we're hurting our testimony in a lot of ways. I do. I don't think you're thinking about that very much. I'm not picking on anybody. Listen, I have strong, strong feelings about certain issues. But venting those on social media doesn't accomplish one thing. It doesn't. I mean, who do I, who do I think is going to listen to me anyway? doesn't matter who I think's an idiot or not. I'm not going I would never call somebody an idiot to their face. So why would I do that online or on social media? And I want you to understand that you're supposed to be bringing fruit to the kingdom of God so you can unfriend me if you want to. I don't care. I'm just about this close to being off of all of it anyway. I don't, I don't write much, hardly ever, but I just, I'm tired of reading it personally. And I know, I know, I mean, I'm not uninformed. That's a better word than stupid. I know what's going on and I just want you to think about, you know what? 
I want people to love you because you love Jesus. And you can, if, you're not, if we're not careful, then we, we stand and we do things and then, then we go out there and we just vent. That's not us. There are people on both sides of every issue, but that doesn't mean they're stupid or an idiot or... I have strong feelings too. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But I want you to, I want you to think about this. Let's talk about the Lord. Let's talk about the good things. Let's, let's magnify the Lord. We have a tool here that can be used, but if all we can do is put down and put down and put down and put down, and it's not accomplishing anything. Let's be part of the solution. Let's be productive. The third thing it says is prosperity. And whatever he does, he prospers. Personal life, family life, business life, church life, spiritual life are going to be blessed by God. Now, this isn't to say there's not going to be some stormy seas or some high winds, but it does say that Jesus is going to ride that with you, that he won't leave you, that he won't forsake you. There's never a truly happy person that the Lord hadn't blessed Now, I want to be clear, God's not promising financial prosperity here. These health and wealth folks on television are misapplying a lot of scripture. But he's just saying that all your life, no matter what troubles you go through, no matter what trials you go through, what storms you go through, God says, underneath all of that, You are still blessed by God. You're his child. You know the future. You know who holds your future. You don't know the future, but you know where you're going in the future. And he holds on to you. We may be poor in this world's goods and afflicted by many trials, but we are rich toward God. Luke 12, 21 tells us that's true prosperity. That's true prospering. Now, let's look at the other group. Look at the futility of the godless. Verse four, but the godly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Chaff. Chaff is the husk or the hull around a seed or a nut or a kernel. It's quite strong when the nut's inside of it, but when you take it out, it becomes like, take a peanut. You've been to the ball games, you've eaten peanuts. You crack that shell, you eat the peanut inside, and what do you do with the rest of it? You throw it on the ground. It's pulverized, it becomes dust. It's light. It's blown away, it's rootless, it's weightless, it's useless. And from the world's viewpoint, many people who live their lives look without God look glamorous and they look powerful and they look exciting, but from God's point of view, they're like the chaff, it's useless. He says, those who leave me out of their lives are like chaff. They have no substance, 
They don't. Have you noticed people without God really don't have anything to stand on? They, they don't have any substance at all. And their wisdom is like chaff. Their wisdom, so-called wisdom, changes every day or every year with new eyes and ideas, new beliefs. Nothing is solid. Nothing's definite. Because the wicked live for themselves. They don't know right from wrong or good from bad. And life without God becomes empty, trivial, worthless, useless. A person can live to be 100 years old, and that they, yet they don't know God. He says they're like chaff. They'll be blown away and forgotten. You got two choices. You have the fruitfulness. Your life can be fruitful. It may not mean that you're the most known person or the wealthiest person, but God says your life's going to matter. I hear people say that. I want my life to matter. Without God, it's not gonna matter. So the last two verses speak of the conclusion of these two. And you can anticipate this because it's going to happen. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. What does that mean? It doesn't mean they're not going to be there because we're all going to face judgment. Now, when I say that, a believer, a child of God does not face judgment in the same way that a person without God does. We're going to face the, the Bema seat, the, the seat of, of, of rewards and faithfulness and, and testing but the wicked, those without God, are going to be raised to the great white throne judgment. They don't have a leg to stand on, is what it says. Well, I went to church. I was a good person. I was kind. I was nice. I was honest in business. Not a leg to stand on. Because the only one that gives you the power to stand is Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Amen. And it says the way of the wicked will perish. Doesn't mean you're going to be annihilated. It means you'll spend eternity without God in the lake of fire. Revelation 21.8, read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Now here's the sobering reality. It says, in the end, verse 6, the way of the ungodly shall perish. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish Amen. but have everlasting life. Amen. So God is trying to keep that from happening. The way of the wicked comes to a dead end. Their life ends in destruction as they rush over the edge of a cliff to find themselves in the lake of fire one day. But then it says, but the righteous, the verse six, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The word knows, the way a father knows his children, it's because of his loving kindness that his children are preserved through the trials and tribulations of life. God knows you. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. He's the one that hangs on to us. 
So my friends, you want to live happily ever after? You have to do it God's way. The world has its own plan and it's getting darker and darker and darker. (laughs) But only God can take you as a sinner and forgive you of your sin because Jesus paid the price. The wages of sin is death. He died for us. Sinless died for us. And when we place our faith and trust in him, God washes you clean of your sin, forgives you of your sin. And when he looks at you, he looks at you with the righteousness of Jesus and you look like that fresh driven snow out there, outside. That's how God looks at us. And to be blessed, to know I'm a child of God. And that in this life, whatever I do, God's gonna have a hand in it. Doesn't mean everything's gonna be happy all the time, but but God's blessed you. You are in him. And one of these days, we're gonna go be with him. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? If you don't know the Lord, I told you there's two, two groups, those who belong to God and those who don't. If you're watching today online or if you're in this room and you don't know God, you can leave today knowing that you've been forgiven and saved. You ask God to forgive you You believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sin, that God put on him, placed on him the sin of all of us, that Jesus died. He paid the price. He rose again, conquering death. And when you place your faith and trust in him, he comes to live in you and forgives you of your sin. Heavenly Father, I pray for those today who need Jesus. Maybe they're flirting with the counsel of the wicked or standing in the path of the sinners or seated in the seat of the scornful, but God, you can deliver them from that and put them on the path that you intended for us. And that's a path in you and in your word. I pray, God, that you would right now save somebody. And for Lord, for those of us who've been saved a long time, thank you for reminding us of how blessed we are, that we've been forgiven of our sin, that our sins have been made clean. Thank you, God, for loving us and walking with us no matter where we are. I pray for those that may need a church. I pray for those that may have other decisions they need to make, some to be baptized, to publicly, unashamedly, obediently, profess you before men. If you're watching us online, you can hit that connect button or I need prayer button or you can text the words living hope, living hope at 474747. You can even do that in this room. 474747, type the words living hope and we can respond back to you. 
Some of us will be standing here at the front for a moment after we're dismissed and we'll have our mask on. Be glad to visit with you about a commitment to Christ. If you don't know Jesus today, we want you more than anything to know him. And so, Lord, today, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it never returns void. I thank you for the three people that accepted Jesus last week online. I pray that even today there'll be more that do that and pray that you'll draw us closer to you. For those who are flirting with the counsel of the world, I pray you'd help them guard their minds and choose their friends carefully that you'll guide them in the right path. Thank you, Lord, for visiting us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.